Today's reading is from Acts chapter 20, verses 13 to 38. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him on board and we went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived at Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos, and on the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came to the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among you whom have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said this, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Well, first, let me say good morning. Thank you for your welcome. Uh, it's fabulous to be back with you all. Um, as, as Paul was suggesting, I think it's probably been 10 years since I preached in this building, um, which hardly seems possible, but uh, time flies, does it not, when you are having fun? And in ministry, we are always having fun. Uh, <laughs> It's fabulous for us to be, to be back at Shirley. We made great friends uh, in the year that we were here, uh, friends that we're still regularly in touch with, and it always feels, 
it always feels like coming home when we come back to, to visit you here. So we're really grateful uh, that we've uh, been able to, to come and be with you this weekend. Uh, it's great to be invited to share with you, and particularly to be asked to contribute to this series that you're in the middle of, and actually to be able to speak on uh, a subject that I'm particularly uh, passionate about, actually. And that subject is uh, the idea of love within the life of the church. Uh, I, was, I was in a church meeting uh, some years ago now, not at my, not at my current church, I, I should uh, point out. And uh, we were looking to appoint uh, a new senior minister. And what happened is uh, the associate minister within the church um, had decided that he would quite like to, to step up. He wanted to apply for the role of senior minister. And we were discussing this in a church meeting when one lady put her hand up and said, um, I'd just like to say this, she said, um, and I say this in love. I have no issue with him but I can't stand his wife. <laughs> and to be fair, the, the moderator of the church, the person chairing the meeting, said, uh, okay, he said, there's, there's two things here. Uh, very calm, very... First of all, he said, we're appointing the minister, we're not appointing his wife. And secondly, there was nothing loving about what you just said. Funny, isn't it, how we can talk about love all we like. But if we fail to demonstrate it in any meaningful or tangible way, then the words that we say are just meaningless, aren't they? On the flip side of that coin, I was a bit surprised this week when I was preparing. I looked, I was reading through this, this passage from Acts chapter 20, and because we're in the middle of this series and because we're looking at this theme of love, I thought to myself, well, that's strange, because in this reading that I've been given and I've been asked to preach from, it doesn't actually contain the word love. So I was a bit curious, and I thought to myself, I wonder how many times the word love appears in, in the book of Acts. I wonder where it is in, in the context of the rest of the book. Anyone want to take a guess how many times the word love appears in the book of Acts? Just shout a number out. Five? Any advance on five? Three? None. Not a single time does the word love appear in the book of Acts. And when you think it contains a whole host of times that, that various people, Paul, Peter, others, are preaching the gospel of Christ, it seems really odd that the word love is never mentioned. Of course, that's not to say that it's not there, that it's not present. We can talk about love all we like, and show a complete and utter lack of it. And at the same time, it's possible to not use the word at all, and yet to demonstrate it in such a profound way that it can move people to tears. Just before we get into that, 
I want to take a moment just to remind ourselves where we are in the context of the book of Acts. We're in the middle of uh, what often gets called Paul's third missionary journey. And uh, Luke is bringing him down island by island from uh, a place called Troas, the island of Troas, down to Miletus. don't know how well you can see this. He's come down via Philippi, uh, at the top left of the screen there. He comes down tr through Troas, down to the island of Miletus, and eventually he's trying to get down to Jerusalem, which is in the bottom right of the screen there. Uh, they're trying to get there in time for uh, Pentecost. Uh, they were in Philippi for Passover. Two weeks have passed since then. So they've got about kind of 30 days to go in order to get to uh, Jerusalem. And so Paul is in a little bit of a hurry. And he decides not to visit Ephesus itself uh, in order to save a little bit of time. Uh, going into Ephesus directly um, would have required a change of ship. It probably would have required catching up with a whole bunch of people um, that would have taken some time. Um, he might have been a bit worried about trouble breaking out. Last time Paul was in Ephesus, if you read chapter 19, there was a riot. Um, he might have been fairly keen to avoid that. And so he, he decides to bypass Ephesus and continue on down to Miletus. And uh, he asks the elders of the church uh, in Ephesus to make a journey uh, about 30 miles south down to Miletus so that he can meet them there. And if you read through uh, the book of Acts up to this point, what you see, um, what you hear, if you like, as you listen uh, to, uh, to Paul speaking, is um, you see Paul the preacher. You see Paul the evangelist. Uh, Acts 13, Acts 14, Acts 17, they're all great examples of Paul at his uh, oratory best. You could even use words perhaps like combative or bombastic. And yet in these verses that uh, David's just read to us, we see him in, in very different mode. He's not here to, to preach to the elders. He's here to say goodbye to them. And in the process of that, he's here to reflect on his ministry among them and the example that he has set for them. He is very open here. He is vulnerable and meditative here. And we get in these verses to understand something about who Paul is as a pastor and a church leader, rather than simply as uh, an itinerant preacher. So what does all of that have to do with the word love that appears not once in this passage or indeed in the whole of this book? And I think the answer to that question lies in the reflection that Paul offers of his own ministry. Because what's at the heart of this speech is an account of the incredibly generous and Christ-shaped love that Paul has demonstrated to the church there. It is the type of love that echoes uh, Paul's own words in 1 Corinthians 13, where he says, love bears all things and endures all things. His ministry at Ephesus was, it was not always a straightforward one. Uh, he says in verse 19, there are times I served you with tears. I endured plots against me he was still faithful 
to the calling on his life. He says, and goes on in verse 20 to say, I didn't shrink from anything that I thought would help you in your faith. I've taught you in a public context. I've visited you in your homes. Anything I could do to help you in your faith, I have done it. And effectively, in verse 32, as he begins to draw to a close, he says, I have loved you. I have cared for you. I have lived out the gospel in your midst. Because for Paul, the the concept of love is not a feeling word. Often when we, we use the word love in, in sort of an English context, I guess, it's, it's a very emotional word, isn't it? We, we describe how we feel about something. I love pizza. I love Aston Villa. Or not. I love, I don't know, Poldark, call the midwife, whatever. Um, I could have used any examples. But the point is, for Paul, love is not a feeling word. Love is a doing word. Paul has loved the church in Ephesus, and he's done it not from the comforters of his living room in a, a kind of wishy-washy, feely kind of, oh, I love you guys. He has served them. He has served them in practical ways. He's communicated the gospel to them. He has been so keen that uh, he can do anything that he can in order to serve the church there. And he wants the church that he leaves behind to continue in the same way. I'll admit that as I've read this passage this week, uh, I found it a real challenge as, as a pastor of a church. Because there are some days when I think about various aspects of church life, and I think about some of the people that I have to talk to, <laughs> and I have to deal with, and to be honest, I don't want to serve them. <laughs> I find myself doing certain things out of, of duty, but some days I don't want to love them because they're hard work. And in certain cases, you know, I, I've had to find space this week to, to repent and to challenge myself to do better. But I don't think this is just a challenge for those of us who are in church leadership. Perhaps if we are, perhaps it's a a slightly more pointed challenge. But I think it is a challenge to all of us. How do we love our church? Because any of us that have been in church for more than about five minutes know that they are not always the easiest of places to be. Mostly because they're made up of people. And people are difficult sometimes, aren't they? People are not always easy to love. And sometimes it's easier not to try. It's far easier not to put ourselves out there. Because loving people costs us something, doesn't it? It costs us time, it costs us energy, it costs us... Uh, both physical and emotional energy. It can, it can drag us out of our comfort zones. It can make us feel vulnerable. And yet, and yet we are called to love one another, not as a kind of a, an added extra to our faith if we're feeling up to it today, but because it is a mark of our faith. It is part of the very definition of what it means to be a follower of Jesus.
In John 13, 34, uh, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. And then he goes on in verse 35 to say, this is the way people will know that you are my disciples. This is the way that you will know, people will know that you are my followers. Not because you've got your theology all sorted out. Not because you can pull random Bible verses out of the air for any and all situations. Not that you can preach great sermons. Not that you can pray in tongues. Not that you can recite the creed from memory. All of those things are great, by the way, and if you can do them, fab. But that's not what's going to define you as a follower of Jesus. What's going to define you as a follower of Jesus is that you love one another. The way I, Jesus, has loved you. And how does Jesus demonstrate that he loves his church? Well, he dies for her, doesn't he? He gives absolutely everything for her. I'm a... I'm a bit of a social media file. It's a bit of a weakness. I'm often about on Twitter and other platforms like that. And uh, the thing that depresses me on an almost daily basis, actually, is just how loving, how unloving Christians can be. And often, specifically, how unloving they can be towards their fellow Christians. Sisters and brothers, the world is full enough of hate and discord and anger and disunity. You know, you, know, you know this. All you've got to do is pick up a newspaper or turn the TV on and you see it. And if as Christians we spend our time bashing each other over points of theology or over disagreements about churchmanship, how are we any different? If we can't serve our own sisters and brothers in Christ, how are we going to be able to demonstrate the love of Jesus to a world that so desperately needs to hear about it? A world that so desperately needs to be shown the saving, redeeming love of Jesus Christ. And if we can't do that, why are we even here? I think in this day and age, people... People don't want to be convinced by uh, lofty theological arguments or apologetics. They want to see if something works. If people outside the church look at us and all they see is the, the same anger and the same disunity and the same, all the other same issues that they see out in the world, then why should they bother? How are we demonstrating the love of Jesus to one another? I wonder where you need to be more loving towards those within your own church community. Maybe it's something as simple as stepping out to love and serve someone in a a very simple but very practical way, perhaps a, a random act of kindness almost, and just see how God blesses that willingness to be vulnerable. 
Maybe for you, it's about making a move from being uh, a consumer of church who just attends to get, to get something out to uh, fully plugging into the community and asking God to show you where you can use your gifts and skills to, to serve the community back and to love it back. Maybe it's about uh, a relationship which has become strained or perhaps even broken. And loving your church is about taking a first step to mending those relationships that have been damaged. Just one other quick thing I want to say before I draw to a close, because this passage isn't just about Paul's love for the church in Ephesus. If we move to the end of the passage, to verses uh, 36 to 38, what we see is that love uh, reciprocated. And we see a deep level of affection and love that the elders of the church hold for Paul too. And as Paul leaves them, we're told that they, they wept as they embraced him. They kissed him. They were grieved by the notion that they weren't going to see him again. These aren't reactions of people who had a superficial relationship with someone. These are the reactions of people who had witnessed the love that Paul had for them. And in turn, they had loved him and served him and partnered with them in ministry. People for, for whom Paul was a mentor and a very much loved friend. One of the things about being a visiting preacher at someone else's church is that you're able to say things that you wouldn't necessarily say to your own congregation. So I want to encourage you this morning. Um, actually, no, that's not strong enough. I want to plead with you this morning. Love your church leaders. Love your ministry team. Love their partners and their families. Love Paul and Francis, love Martin and Jackie, love Deanna and Luke, love your deacons, love your trustees. You might not always agree with everything that they do or say, but please support them, uphold them, pray for them, find, practi uh, find practical ways to care for them and serve them too, because I can assure you they are loving you. They're seeking to serve you, even when it's difficult, even when it's a sacrifice for them to do that. They are loving you. So please love them back. Love is, it's an easy word to throw around. Anybody who starts a sentence with, and I say this in love, my immediate reaction is, you're going to say something that's not in love. It's an easy word to throw around. It's easy to declare our love for a food or a sports team or a TV show. It is more difficult to demonstrate it. But I think what we see from Paul in this passage is that servant-hearted love is the very center of what it means for us to be in fellowship with one another. It is at the heart of what it means to be church. And perhaps most importantly of all, it is at the very heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus.